Well, I'm very out of practice podcasting. This was way too long of a break. I was kind of busy, kind of distracted with jobs and life, but uh, I wanted to bring someone back on that it's really easy for me to talk to every time Dave Mays is here. We have a great conversation, and I knew we would this time, so thanks for coming back, Dave. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm in my new uh, festive mode here. We just put all the holiday decorations up, so awesome. real excited. Yeah, it's that time of year. We just did, too. Um, and, I mean, there's been so much that happened since the last episode this came out. Uh, last episode came out. And, I mean, I've been, I guess I've just been tweeting through it because I haven't recorded a podcast. But, like, this has been a busy <laughs> fall. I mean, every fall is busy, but maybe this one's a little, like, crazier in terms of tech. So, I missed some of the, the biggest, most significant announcements, uh, didn't get to talk about them. So hopefully we can catch up with some of them now. Um, sure. Others, I think, are like too fast of news stories to even um, really keep track of. So I feel like the best example of that is, uh, <laughs> is, is the Twitter story that is ongoing and oh my goodness. So, moving so fast that it's kind of impossible to talk about. Um, I've heard a few other podcasts I listen to try to talk about what's happening at Twitter right now. And the thing is, even... Even if they release the podcast the next day, it's already out of date. So <laughs> we just, you and I both enjoy Twitter. We both use it a lot. So I, I don't know. I feel like I have to acknowledge that th things are definitely crazy over there. Um, and yeah. I don't know in which way they'll be crazy by the time people hear this. But um, well, I, I think generally it's, cra yeah, you're right. It's crazy. It's been one of the most entertaining months that that I can remember being on the internet with with an app specifically. I don't even know what else to compare it to because I don't think anything like this has ever really happened for an individual person to purchase an entire social network and just do all these crazy things. It's been entertaining to say the least uh, because every day something new happens. In fact, you and I are both now uh, finally verified. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Finally, after all this time, um, I guess, you know, I don't know where it is right now. I think the only things worth talking about is a little bit of, of, of how we got to this, this point. Um, the, the only things I could say is that there's a lot of people that are, are for obvious reasons, completely focused only on that. You know, the, a lot of people lost their jobs, which is really awful. Like I, I really do feel bad for, for anyone that goes through that, like losing your job is insanely stressful um, and really can like get to the you know, heart of somebody's identity. But at the same time, Twitter was, Twitter has been a mess for so long. Um, <laughs> verification never made sense. It was, it was always arbitrary. Um, so many people that it, it would make complete sense to be verified uh, were not. Um, and I really did find like a lot of the, you know, first of all, what, what has happened up to this point doesn't make any sense either. What, what all the changes Elon's done um, have led to bigger messes of different shapes. But, uh, but also in the past, you know, as he was announcing like, oh, it's going to be $8 and everybody gets a check mark. The most angry people about it, mo almost every post I saw about it were from people that were currently verified. And I think if you're not in, like both of us, I think are at an area where it's like, it totally makes sense for just being a public figure I, I want to have some control over my identity on the internet and verification shouldn't be a status symbol of uh, your level of success. Or I also don't think it should be a, a symbol of your truth telling ability or your honesty, because it just isn't that. And I think some people interpret it that way that it's like, Oh, anybody with a verified badge is held to a higher standard. Cause it, that's just not what it means. It means your identity is verified. You are, 
you have to back up what you say by being confirming you're that person. And I think anybody that wants to kind of play in the public sphere should all um, have to, you know, say, commit to whether they are who they say they are or not. And um, I still think with that, there's room for um, anonymous accounts, like obviously corporate accounts don't need to have a person behind it. Um, but there's also meme accounts that can become like significant in culture and verifying that there is an understanding of who is behind that account is a helpful thing to know. Uh, regardless if they are, um, you know, a traditional news source or from a bigger media company or whatever, there's a million reasons to just confirm that whoever is behind this post is a real human. Um, and so I hope we move towards a version of that. Uh, so far, <laughs> like, we haven't really. We're just charging people. But yeah, it was surprising to me how easy it was. You just um, you just sign up for blue and pay eight dollars. But I have two accounts that I wanted to get ver verified. I have my podcast uh, account, uh, GH Pod, as well that I wanted to verify. And so after I verified my personal account, Dave Mays, I just went over and it gave me an error. And then that night when they unleashed the verification thing with Twitter Blue, Elon did, um, what's it called? The Twitter Spaces. He did a Twitter Space. It was like an hour space. And things have changed a lot, even just in the week and a half since then. But... Um, but he mentioned that, uh, it's not simply just the $8, uh, to help mitigate the bot situation It's the fact that you only get one verification per iPhone and it's only on iPhones too, by the way, I don't think they have this on Android yet. So it's only through Apple's, you know, their own subscription, which is odd that he did right. that because Apple takes 30% of that $8. Um, but it's only on iOS devices. And so he said, if it, if a government agency was was you know making millions of bots uh, previously by just you know building some sort of code to build it, now you would not only have to pay eight dollars for each verification, but you'd literally have to have a million iPhones uh, to do it. So right. it's an interesting, interesting idea. I actually, actually hadn't heard that. <clears throat> I think but, it's also I think it, they well, but, need some sort of verification with the human element, yeah. which is what it was in the past but it was only for like celebrities and you know, I tried multiple times to do it. And even when I was working for Indie Mogul, a channel with over a million subscribers, I thought, Ooh, this is my opportunity. And they were, even though I worked for a channel with a million subscribers, because I didn't have my name in like two, uh, news articles, like on traditional, like wall street journal or, uh, CNN, or whatever, like then I wasn't verified. That's what they, they, we need more media coverage of you is what they said. And it's like, well, I don't understand. <laughs> so. But so part of the, even the way that, that the, the way you just phrased everything comes down to the root of some of the problems here that like you were saying that you applied for verification. I don't know if they're calling it verification because there is no verification happening of much. Like you're saying like verifying, mm -hmm. verifying that somebody has a credit card and somebody has an iPhone. Are you talking um, about now with the with yeah the blue? right yeah, the yeah way I, right I was now. referring so, to pre pre blue <laughs> oh yeah yeah no well, when but you, that's what I'm saying now submit. so you just saying yeah. that we're both verified like neither both of us have Twitter blue but yeah <laughs> still not verified so it just means that we paid by the way and I did I did already cancel mine I was like um, I don't know I eight dollars well, I was also I was already paying for it so I uh, I like I, the undo I, and the I did and canceled and it before as well I didn't keep keeping it in between I've I've had it and canceled it repeatedly because it just it is quite a quite a bit of money and yeah. um i don't know i i want to i i would definitely 
invest in it if it ties into some kind of like actual valid verification. Um, mm. So I don't know. I'm I'm open to the idea, but I'm I don't know. I don't I don't want to. Um, I'd rather keep all my streaming services. I'm sure you're familiar with Colin and Samir. They have a great yeah. uh, podcast and show and a, and a newsletter called the Day, the uh, the Published Press. And um, they asked on Twitter, what do you think they should be doing with Twitter Blue? And I just like replied with podcasting and like a Patreon model. And then they reached out and asked if I could elaborate. And so in their last uh, article in the published press about this topic, I have <laughs> I have like a feature in in it um, that they that I wrote out. And basically my idea is like I would love to see like I would be willing to pay $8 a month to kind of go into like almost like a pro creator tier where it maybe unlocks the ability to have almost like a Patreon model, uh, kind of an upgrade to the Twitter uh, super follow, I think is what it's called right now, where you could basically have private feeds. You could maybe have the ability to unlock private DMs with your subscribers, um, like a, a, tr- a traditional feed of either photos or videos or podcasts. Um, I know Elon talks about, you know, wanting Twitter to kind of do everything. And so maybe that's his, you know, direction that he's headed, uh, right I would now pay for that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be cool. I, I, the, the truth is, is like zoom out from all this situation. I love Twitter. I've always loved it because the pressure to create on it is so low. There's no, um, you, there's no punishment for having a bad tweet. So it's almost a great place as a creator, as, as a video creator, and even, even on Instagram, it's a great place to like demo ideas. So I'll just say something, you know, for example, the other day I said, Sony cameras aren't sexy. And I had that thought the other day and I was like, I bet this will get people worked up. And sure enough, it did. And I was like, okay, this will work on Instagram. So I, I literally just screenshotted that tweet and made it a reel. And it was interesting. The audience on Instagram all agreed with me. I didn't have anybody really fight me on it. But then on Twitter, it was like this big battle. Um, and I'm, by the way, like, obviously, cameras are inanimate objects. Like, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not objectifying a camera. But I will say objectively, I would love to see all camera companies make little niche cameras, just like Fuji or Leica or Hasselblad, um, because it would just be awesome to have like a little daily carry camera that's beautiful that I actually like to wear on my neck from Sony. Um, well, right now Leica is the only option. That's <laughs> so. my, that's on my list of topics from today. So we'll definitely talk about, uh, uh, cause I've, I've kind of found a carry around camera that like that I've Ooh. really been enjoying. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do the same thing, sort of test drive ideas on Twitter and then they can later end up in YouTube videos that happens all the time. So, um, yeah, I don't want it, I don't want it to go away. I, I, I like it. It's a great social media app and the conversations we have are great. Um, I've made a lot of friends on it. Um, so I think overall it's one of my favorite social networks, even though it's one of the smaller ones, I think MKBHD really wrapped oh, yeah. it up well in his video. He basically said the user base is like lower than Snapchat, but for some reason the kind of influence that Twitter has is really great. And I think it's just because a lot of egotistical people use it and they talk to each other. And so it's a great place for people to kind of just see egotistical celebrities like ripping on each other or making comments. But then as a YouTuber, it's a great little addition to being a YouTuber because on YouTube, you just post a video and then you're done and the comments just become a big mess. But Twitter is a great place for all of us 
creators to kind of hang out and, and have conversation at least. Yeah. It, it really is. It's like the public chat room for creators. Like it's how I know the YouTube community is a hundred percent because of Twitter, like comments on mm -hmm. YouTube don't create back and forth conversations the way that Twitter does. So yeah. anyway, hopefully it's still live by the time I yeah. post this podcast. Um, <laughs> I do. I, we definitely need to talk about the iPhone 14 a little bit. Cause I just, I just haven't done an episode sure. since it came out, which is like my biggest, my biggest videos of the year. Um, did you, you, did you pick one up? Sorry. Yeah. yeah, I got mine right, right here. Nice. Here's the, you can well, see the dynamic island. You can see my cute uh, two boys here, Ryan and Caleb. It looks uh, like a – that's a, a, just a regular case. size pro, right? Yeah, I, I went down to a pro this year. Um, I've been a, a pro max user since, um, since that came out. Um, I felt like they were getting heavier <laughs> every year, and it started to become one of my favorite shows, and it's one of our mutual favorite shows, uh, Accidental Tech Podcast. Uh, one of my favorite little uh, quirks with uh, one of the hosts, Marco, is he always talks about how phones like jangle around in his pocket. <laughs> and he says, like, I, every time I put my phone in my shorts, it just like flaps around and hits my leg too much. I always think about that. It's like the heavier these things get, the more they flop around in your pants. And um, I absolutely <laughs> make pants decisions based on what's in my pocket. I mean, first of all, I don't wear anything with like a dr uh, drawstring or that's like held by elastic is like a no go uh -huh. for me. I have some <laughs> I would like wear around the house maybe, but even then I'm constantly annoyed that there's this downward pressure from all the heavy <laughs> crap I have in my, I mean, there's constantly like at least a, a phone wallet keys. It's enough yeah. to like, you know, kind of make it that, uh, make them want to move down. Well, you and know, then, you know you don't have enough uh, uh, pride to do the little side satchel thing. I, that's like a, I do, a I do do the side satchel. I a hundred percent have been doing the that moment, more, more. but uh, I'd rather, I don't have to do it if I, uh, you know, just have belt loops and uh, anyway, so that one, and then also shorts. I'd like, if I'm wearing shorts, it's gotta be cause I'm like crazy hot. Like I'm not doing it uh, for, on per well, not now. It's, yeah, I, it's I do it when now. I have to, Yeah, definitely not right now. Um, Even in but, Tennessee, okay. it's like tw in the twenties out here. <laughs> It's crazy. Oh, well, poor you. It's, in the, it's in the minus twenties here. So, uh, oh, okay. That's actually, that's actually cold. Um, so what, what have you actually thought of the phone though? Um, what, what were you coming from? Like, what were you upgrading? I from? came from a 12 pro. So I, I skipped 13. Um, so this is my first promotion phone, um, which I really like. Uh, I, it, that's definitely one of those kind of, once you have it, it's, it's hard to unsee it. Um, things. <clears throat> the dynamic island surprisingly is like one of my favorite features. Um, I find myself, it's just one of those little subtle changes that will hopefully carry on throughout, you know, the end of time, even when they remove the notch completely, it may be kind of a UI element that kind of just maybe appears and floats up there. Um, it's a brilliant kind of leaning into a downside, uh, situation. However, I do have a, just a jet black, uh, wallpaper to hide it when I'm on my home screen. Um, but I really like the dynamic Island. Like uh, for example, I'm sure if you've used the 14 pro, you may have experienced this. If you're using directions and listening to a podcast, uh, and maybe somebody texts you or whatever, like the, you can kind of see the, the things separate, like your podcast is over here and then your phone call is over here and your, you know, maps is over here. It's probably not safe uh, to just be looking at all those things. But um, I really notice it when I'm just multitasking, having, it's almost like having a second display <laughs> on your phone, um, which is great. Yeah, or so, like, a, like a little extra menu bar, like a dock almost. Like, 
a micro yeah. version of a doc almost. Um, yeah, I, I overall uh, wasn't. I mean, I, d- I ended up not using it at all for weeks because no apps were really supporting it. The first app that really got me into it, and I could see, I'm like, oh, now I get it, um, is Flighty. So, I mean, the most basic part of it that's fantastic is when you're at the airport, up in the top dynamic island area, it's just constantly showing you your gate and how long until your flight departs. And it just stays on your phone. And that's exactly what you want to see when you're at the airport waiting for your flight. Where do I need to go and when do I need to be there? Um, incredibly useful. So seeing that, that, that example was when I was like, oh, like now I get it. It's not just a way to switch apps kind of different. It's not just another option for switching apps. It actually can add some functionality that we didn't have before. I'm still waiting to see some more apps like that before I really end up engaging with it on a day-to-day basis. Like I find I don't touch it in the day. Like I don't need to reach up there because the traditional methods of switching apps was just still sort of faster or maybe like more reliable because it's a bigger touch target. Um, so I, I, yeah, but I do think it's a design triumph, like not, not making that notch so obnoxious. So well, there, um, there's one, there's one thing for me. Um, you tell me your thoughts. You may notice that my always on is not on. <laughs> I oh, turned yeah, it yeah. off after so, well, uh, I, I used it for too. like a week and then I, I, I turned it off and then I used it again and, I just found when it's always on, I think I'm getting a notification all the time. Like so it's good just news, like a mental thing. Next firmware update, you can set it to be background only, which I'm going to do. That, so yeah. background off. So it's the way that it's Android's just like a black work, screen. And that's the way it kind of always should have been. You can also turn off notifications if you want to just see the time. Because a lot of the time, I, I don't that's know, I, I like. might keep notifications on maybe, but it is more distracting. Like it's a little mm-hmm. worse for your mental health. So it depends if you're, living in the mode where you want to see them or where you, you know, like I need to know as soon as something happens, like when I'm sitting at my desk and my phone is off to the side, I do want every notification to be visible right away. That is helpful. Yeah. But when I'm spending time with friends or family, I don't want to be glancing at my phone, which I am doing more right now. So I think that you'll be able to customize those in the, hopefully it's not just in the focus modes, but in the different uh, like background, what are they called? The, I, yeah, I saw that when you it's press gonna be nice. Um, so, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, the, I, I, I definitely think that's, it, yeah. that's the right upgrade. Um, but camera stuff. I mean, that's the you know that's why we all really buy phones. Yes, very Have good. Do you do you like <laughs> notice that it's bigger and better on a daily basis? No, I, I really don't. Uh, it still looks like an iPhone to me. But um, in those use cases where I switch to forty eight megapixels, or uh, is that what it is? Forty eight, something like that. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of landscapes in just everyday life scenarios where it's like, oh, this is a beautiful kind of scene here. I'm going to switch to 48 and just get a nice shot. It is pretty mind blowing how sharp it is. Um, I take a lot of pictures in this house of my children. Um, I'm a father of two. So the majority of my photos and videos are of the kids. The photos to me look very similar to 13, but um, I've noticed a big difference in the video quality for sure. It's cleaner, much cleaner, a little bit more depth of field. I really like the video, but I'm probably not the right guy to talk to about the camera because I, I am, I really carry my camera everywhere. Like I, I use my C70 as my video camera for my kids. So we'll go to the park and I'll have my C70 <laughs> and then I have my Olympus camera as my stills camera. Um, so the f- iPhone for me is for social media posting and like intentional iPhone only uh, shooting for that iPhone aesthetic. 
Um, and then for like actually taking real photos that I care about, I just use a real camera. But um, so, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, well, what you said about depth of field is absolutely the case. It is noticeably blurrier in the background, which mm. there is a downside of that, that the, the close focus point has moved much further away. So it's kicking into macro mode more often. And that's an actual I've downside. I've noticed that. Like, I've noticed yeah, that. That one X lens, I mean, I, I'm sure they want it to be closer too, but like it, it's a trade off of having gotten that bigger sensor. We are not able to get as close to it. I don't like it. Like that really does drive me crazy. And I, I would you, rather not worry about the, the depth of field and, and go back to that. Um, do you notice the 24 mil, uh, millimeter over the 20? I do. I, I, and now, now I'm pretty convinced that is the right move, uh, especially because when we're doing, uh, especially jobs, we just did a, like a pretty big job that involved a lot of reels. So we're shooting reels for a company. They're going to use it in their marketing. So it needs to look like an iPhone, but be professional. Like we can't compromise on quality. We can't screw anything up. And that 24 lets uh, get, just give so much more room for cropping, right? Like basically I think by the, a lot of the stuff that gets posted ends up being like the 26 it used to be, maybe it's even down to 28 sometimes like we're, we're, we're punching in, but that's because you know, shots need to be straightened. They need to match a previous shot, but just there's room to move things around because we're always recomposing. So that little bit of extra width has really been helpful um, for, for that ability to to basically make adjustments and post that, which I'm doing all the time. Um, and uh, I, another thing, but I, I would say overall, I do generally agree that in the end, it does still look like an iPhone. We didn't jump over a hurdle as this uh, sensor got bigger and it's like, oh, now it looks like a normal camera. It Look, you definitely won't mistake it for a regular camera. It looks like an iPhone. Um, the biggest but, improvement, I think, I was, is on the self-facing camera. Like, there yes, are some tests yeah, that I did with it. Now. Where, well, mm -hmm. and and just the overall quality too. Mm -hmm. um, like, there's sometimes when I looked at the side by sides of the previous phones, I'm like this isn't even close. Like, the, the 14 is destroying the the image quality of others, both in terms of dynamic range and what people's faces render like, and sharpness and noise, everything. So. Um, I had a few like creators. We, we were on we were on a press trip where a bunch of other creators were there when I had first gotten the iPhone, and everyone was like, "Well, like, should I upgrade?" Anybody that creates as their job, like, if you use your phone to make stuff, yes, a hundred, like a hundred percent. Normal, casual people that like don't, you know, they're just screwing around. I, I always say like two years is is an often upgrade cycle. If you're into it, two years. If you don't really care about your phone three or four years is fine. Um, that's so. my parents. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, most people don't need to do even, even two years is pretty two. Uh, yeah, I did two. Um, I did two years this last time, you know, I went from the 12 to the 14. I, I liked it. It was good. Cause it, it, it did give me more of a, a feeling of an upgrade. Cause I, you know, I gained the promotion, even though promotion mm -hmm. came out last year for me, it was the first time I experienced it. So that, you know, that was cool. I, I will say I, personally yeah I, I view it I, I i really now have a relationship with my iphone as a work tool if you didn't notice with the way that i use it i don't see it as a home documentation tool as much as i used to because i i don't know it's just something clicked for me last year i was like my children are literally two years old and four years old these beautiful little babies and I only have two years to capture this moment and yeah. then they're going to be little children. And then same for that too. And it's like, I'm, I'm literally standing here with this 
iPhone in my hand and like 10 feet away from me is my $5,000 cinema setup. And it's like, I, I know it's big and clunky, but like might as well use it. And totally no, especially I, I, my Olympus yeah, camera. It's not right that big, path. you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think more people should, should think that way. Cause <laughs> the, I think the thing is, is when you look at phone photos on a phone, those results are really amazing. Like it, it, it is amazing. And iPhone photos can often look better than a big camera when you're viewing them smaller. As soon as you print them, as soon as you look at them on a larger screen, you realize like, oh, I, now I can really see where that data went. Even with the 48 megapixel sensor, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a difference. It's not the same thing. Um, so uh, I, t- I totally agree. Like if these photos matter to you, just use the bigger camera. You'll thank yourself later. And if you don't mind, I wanted to mention this phone here that I'm holding in my hand. This is called the Light Phone. The Light Phone 2. Yeah. Um, this phone has really helped with my relationship with the phone because I, I found myself, I have an addictive personality. I found myself, um, again, in relation to being a father and a husband, as soon as I was done with work, I even though the phone was in my pocket or even if I was using a focus mode or whatever, it's, it's just a habit that we all, I think, have fallen into with smartphones where any type of little lull in our life, at least for me, I need, I have this, um, urge to fill it with, with mindless scrolling. And, um, I found myself sitting at the dinner table, um, and maybe we were all having a conversation and we're having a family moment, but then maybe, you know, my wife gets up to go, you know, grab some more food or whatever. And like in that like 30 second period of her getting up to go to the kitchen and then coming back, I'm on my phone and it's just like, I, I'm not even really aware of it. And so I picked this thing up, this light phone. It only does phone calls. It only does texting and it's really rudimentary and it's really slow. It's an e-paper display. So it does not refresh and it's black and white. So it's, it's all, this is all intentional. It's intentionally simple. I simply, I have a phone alarm calculator directions notes. Um, I don't even have music or podcasts on here really. Um, but I think you it can also get looks podcasts. nice too. I think it looks cool. It does look cool. It's minimalist. This little nub that's on the bottom, if you're watching the video, is actually a magnetic, um, almost like a MagSafe um, adapter that I put in here because it is USB micro, the old like Android plug, which I hate. So I just bought this little adapter. So that way, you know, it, I just said on my bedside and just snaps in with the magnet and that solved my problem with that. But Verizon has in America, they have this great deal. It's only $10 to add this as an additional line to my, uh, to my iPhone. So I have my iPhone, which is my main number. This is my iMessage phone number. This is my work phone number. And then this, uh, light phone is a completely separate phone number that nobody has except my wife, my parents, my brother, uh, you know, my grandparents and my, you know, roommates, although, uh, Connor, Connor's been living with me for a couple of months. He's moving out tomorrow. So it's Aww. actually really sad. He's, he's been living here in our little guest room, uh, which has been great, but he's, he's not going to be far, but, um, and then, so basically my, my life now is I work all day. I use this as my work tool, you know, I post on social media, whatever, five o'clock hits. I snap my little mag safe on my iPhone, put it in my drawer and switch it on to uh, driving mode. <laughs> I know I can do this with a shortcut, but I, I just did this because I'm lazy. And so I turn on driving and that way it auto replies to my favorites list and says, Dave is off his iPhone. If emergency, call this number. Um, and so for the rest of the night, I'm without my phone 
and I use my light phone as my main phone and it's amazing. And then that goes for the weekends too. I use this as my weekend phone. Um, and that has really helped with my relationship with my addiction to devices. Um, I think, I think it's a great recommendation. Um, I, I, along with that, I, the strongest book recommendation I have for the last year, like I just, I really do think everybody could benefit from reading it is, um, stolen focus by Johan Hari. And it's, it's, you know, the story of this, like, how did we end up in this place where it is actually physically challenging for us to not pick up our phone in those little in-between moments? And what are the effects on us and society of that addiction? Um, and yeah, I a hundred percent think it's, it's worth everybody thinking about that more and more because it is, a, it's a real addiction it has real effects yeah. on people's lives. You know, it's not, it's not just kids that get addicted. It's the parents and it's the grandparents. And you yeah. know, we, we, we uh, are all in this position and, um, just in case you're interested in the book as well, I think like another thing I'll check that out that, that he's arguing for in it that I think is um, worth worth talking about is that there's also just some structural changes to how these websites like Twitter are are run in a way that promotes adversarial conversations. Um, you know, it's it there. It's not about that they choose a side and that they you know you know want to to be part of the debate. It's more that like the the structure of them creates incentives for people to engage in uh destructive so, behavior sony and cameras addictive aren't behavior sick. sony yeah, cameras yeah, aren't yeah, sexy. exactly yeah yeah you're right yeah, i mean as you're saying that i'm yeah. convicted of that it's like i kn i was like oh this is a good tweet because it'll get people talking and it's yeah, like yeah. is that really the most creative and like best thing to do i'm like i'm just having a little bit of fun honestly like if i but, were I mean, at a party of, i would like, say the same thing but 100 percent, you're going to get more engagement if the tweet is you know canon cameras suck more people will respond to that than if you just say like, I like my new C70 or, you yeah, know, I mean, exactly. the, the, the negativity totally works. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's well, true. I mean, I just, to, to finish up that little topic, I just want to recommend too, there's a great interview with Casey Neistat recently. I forget who the guy is who interviewed him, but the title is this guy is relentless. It's a great uh, interview. And Casey talks about this. He's switched to a dumb phone as well. I think he has a flip phone. And, um, he actually said, he's like, I, there's a famous person who goes to the same elementary school as my daughter. Uh, he, this famous person, he didn't mention who it was, but this famous person's kid goes to the same school. And he noticed that that person didn't have a phone at all. Like they didn't even have a phone. And he started thinking about it. And like back in the old days before cell phones, like the people in high society never handled money and they never ha handled phones. Like that was just how it was. And that, right. that gave them the clarity and the focus to run the business, to create the art, whatever it is. And so I think there's something to be said with us as creatives to really consider how detrimental this device is to our creativity as artists. It really gets in the way of boredom, which well, has been the source of creativity for generations. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Yeah. Although I still also love my phone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, but, but I'm, also I'm, we get inspired by I'm 100%, it I'm hundred percent. Yeah. Going to argue for both sides of it. And just that, uh, you know, we got to like find our, our balance, balance, and find our, our balance, balance. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, the other things I wanted to touch on, uh, just since I don't know, next time we'll talk about the iPhone is, um, the, well, no, I don't, I don't need to, there, there's some updates coming soon. Like the, uh, satellite, SOS yes, was just released cool. recently. So that is now out and, and working. Um, I did set off crash detection once and I even made, I have a, 
I have a reel about it and it like a TikTok, and I just never kind of finished editing it. So I never posted it, but I, I just should post it. We were um, like driving through sand dunes in the desert. Um, oh, wow. And so just like kind of like cool. off-roading. Yeah. So it, I can a hundred percent see how it thought. So, cause we are in a car, we're driving mm. really aggressively and we like go down and hit a dip in a steep corner and it, sh- you know, mm. shakes in just the right way. It's like, Oh, were you in a crash? And yeah, it's I'd pretty ra- easy I'd for rather... me to dismiss it, but. Yeah, I'd rather it uh, get it wrong than than miss it when it's when it's needed. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, totally. So I, I don't know. It was interesting. I know they were going to make some updates because it was they had some false uh, positives with roller coasters, as Amuse- well, so. amusement park rides. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, John Syracuse in the latest episode of ATP mentioned it. He's like, I don't know how they're going to solve that problem because it is doing the right thing. It's flipping. It's going like high G force. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like this, this should not happen. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So maybe you could do like a geo fence around like an amusement park or something. I don't know. Maybe there's an amusement park mode that you can put it on or something. But I actually did consider it um, specifically as just a husband. You know, my wife drives around in the minivan with the kids by herself all the time. Mm-hmm. And so honestly, just as, you know, a family man, I was like, this is literally like a life saving potential tool that I like Apple totally got me with, with the marketing on that, because if there's just, if, if it's able to call 911, like even 30 seconds before she would have by herself, like that could be life or death situation. So, um, I think this is wonderful and I know it's a great marketing ploy, but honestly, I want to just believe that morally speaking, they're doing really good stuff and I can't wait for, next year probably wwdc or at least next iphone release they're gonna like share the stats and have those like commercials with a voiceover telling some sort of story about how the iphone saved their life i'm sure it's gonna happen (laughs) you know the the summary is that it we are in the state of incremental updates it's not gonna be insanely new every year so if one of the features speaks to you good time to upgrade. Or if it's been a few years, you're going to love the upgrade, but you, uh, you definitely don't need to be doing it every single year. So, um, yep. The, the other obsession I've had for months now and haven't talked about it all. Cause I, it, it's, it's challenging to such hear. a big topic that I, I want to say the right thing about it. I want to have useful ideas as soon as I jump into it, but I don't know if I have anything to add to the conversation, but it's AI art and yes. uh, gen- generative art <clears throat> and well it's pretty easy to be a master that's <laughs> that's part of the weird thing so i i don't even know where to start with it I, it's probably not worth going too deep on it but i've been playing around a lot with first of all the practical stuff that i've been doing uh i kind of got them all you know especially uh, mid journey is absolutely my favorite like is that the, the down, discord one yeah Exactly. And the, the one that oh, I wow. post the most often on Twitter, it's, that's all coming from Midjourney. I also have Dolly, uh, Dolly 2, but I, mm. it's, its results are less exciting. But what's more useful about it is the way that it handles in-painting, also out-painting. But what I've been using it for is Photoshop. So uh, an example I just had today was that I needed to remove, there was an umbrella sitting on the ground in front of a bike wheel. I'm going to post this on Twitter so you can see if you want. I had to remove it, but the wheel is behind and like Photoshopping a wheel is incredibly difficult because you have to get the exact same curvature, like super challenging. So all I did was upload it to Dolly, selected that bike wheel area, said, generate a bike wheel. And it just matched the back. It matched everything perfectly, (laughs) removed it and created a new one. 
Um, wow. So things like that of like object removal in Photoshop, that's the most practical purpose I've found for generative art so Dude. far. Because on the other that's side of like, of like just generating the, the fun doodles and paintings and realistic portraits mm-hmm. and stuff that I've, I've been posting, I have no idea what the point of any of that is yet. And I don't think any of us really know what the point is. Like they look, I, they look so amazing. And I, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm almost annoyed how uh, unexcited a lot of nor- normies are. Like when I just kind of show my <laughs> friends and talk to them about it, they're like, oh yeah, like, okay, like, that looks cool or whatever. <laughs> like people aren't, people aren't that interested in it. And really? I think that's really strange to me because it's like, it looks well, they don't see amazing. The potential. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. Do you see the potential? Like, where is, where is this going? <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. I, I mean, fast forward, you know, a decade from now and imagine this being built into Photoshop and um, maybe even in video. I've even seen some really early uh, tests with AI video, which is incredible. Just over the last year, um, I, I forget who posted it. It was Paper or something is the channel. I forget, but Alex Lindsay talks about this channel all the time, and they posted a, an example of AI art from a year ago compared to now, and it's really impressive. Um, I think it is maybe not impressive to other people because it is still just emulating what humans have done before. So it's not necessarily creating something you know wholly unique. It's taking from other artists and taking from what humans have done forever. Um, so it's not new in that sense. When you see a painting that this AI creation does, like the hands might be a little warped and the image kind of looks like something you may have seen before. So maybe that's why they're not so impressed, but it's just insane how you can just say anything and it just does it. I think for musicians, this is going to be like probably how most indie artists are going to make uh, their album art now i would imagine yeah why not sure um you know um for graphic designers it's a great way to uh if you're working with a client to very very quickly maybe share some rough sketches if you will of like okay here's what you're telling me you want me to make i'm just gonna feed this into the machine have a hundred options send that to the client i essentially do no work let them choose what they like and then from there, I refine it and, and actually make it, you know? Yeah. So doing, I, I doing logo design or app icon design are some of the mm-hmm. things I've been experimenting with. And what it gives you in the end, you wouldn't use it as is. Like it can't, it currently cannot replace the mm-hmm. designer, but it can give you a ton of interesting ideas really quickly that you can experiment with. There is, I, meme- I think there's an interesting analogy to music, especially the way music is right now. Cause I'm really mm-hmm. kind of, I'm really kind of down on like modern music at the, at this moment. Cause so much, so much is sampled and it's, you know, mm. it's, it's, yeah. I, I, I love sampled music, but there, I do feel like we're in a bit of a rut of unoriginality where the, like what, what is being released is resample like, is it's not just sampling, but it's like taking old ideas to make new hits and coming yeah. up with less and less new ideas. And that's, what we would we are definitely at risk of kind of getting into that cycle yeah. if we just have a black box that's remixing everything that already exists and spinning it back out yeah um you know i don't know i it, it's not well, that's it's, not the the best way to cr- actually create new art and it's more of an interesting tool for hopefully for real artists to be able to just do what they're already doing better but i mean it's going to be just incredibly complicated how it screws up yeah. the, the whole universe of creativity yeah, I, I love, there's a great documentary um, with Jack White, with um, Jimmy 
Page and The Edge. It's uh, yeah. these three incredible it, it guitars. Might get loud. I love that. It might get loud, and I especially just love and am inspired by Jack White, and he loves the process and he basically uses guitars that are hard to play and sound bad and then he figures out how to make it sound good and you can feel the pain and the like effort that he's going to in his recordings because he's literally physically making the instrument work and i think i i honestly think of that all the time even with my own work it's like I'm just going to use a prime lens right now because yes, a zoom would be better, but I want to, I want to earn this shot. Like I want to work for it and kind of have a little bit of effort in this and intentionality. And uh, so I think you're touching on that a little bit with music. Obviously TikTok has a lot to do with the current state of music as well. Like um, Oliver tree is like a kind of the ultimate kind of TikTok superstar because his image is perfect for the internet right now. And then his songs and his hooks are like perfect for that six second looping thing that is like instantly recognizable and kind of quirky and weird. So it makes people interested in it and think that's dumb. But because they're saying that's dumb, they're talking about it. And it's like, you know, artists on the high end are definitely just writing hooks to go viral on TikTok because that's how you get number one hits these days. So. Um, I mean, I would if I could write music, <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I just like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm so interested and excited about all of this and also just, I, I'm generally concerned. I mean, like we are, we're moving faster than anybody understands what's going on. So anyone that's just completely, uh, wholeheartedly enthusiastic about this is not being clear eyed about the potential downsides. But anybody that is, uh, just totally pessimistic and saying like, oh, it doesn't look that realistic. I mean, you're, they're not paying attention to how fast this all happened. This all happened within one year. Like it was, yeah. it went from uninteresting to photorealistic in one year. And in another one year, we're going to be somewhere crazy. This is moving so mm. quickly and it's gonna, so many more people are using it now. So. I mean, it's, it's going to completely transform. I, the thing is, it's going to transform photography too, both because people will now interpret every photo differently because it, it will move from, not being uh, when it was all about Photoshop and you would look at an image and be like, I don't know if that's real or not. You also knew in the back of your head that if that has a fake sky and the people have been cloned in and objects have been removed, mm. that means the photographer spent a certain amount of time on it and they had a certain skill level and they did all this mm. work. Yeah. Well, now my is Jeremy Cowart. If, yeah. He was great at that. <laughs> but if it's trivial for anybody, unskilled people to uh, just t to type a phrase, you upload an image, type a phrase about how you want it to be modified, and it looks photorealistic, these modifications, mm -hmm. that triviality, that lack of a barrier means that every single thing that's uploaded or, or, or seen has a much bigger question mark behind it. Um, yeah. and, it and we're going to have a different relationship of um, what we, how much we care about things being real and how, mm. we, you know, what the difference between artistic photography and documentary, something that's, you know, showing the real world. And obviously it's going to have all sorts of news implications and it's going to be a huge mess for a little <laughs> well, while and hopefully I, sort it out. I hear you, but I also will push back and say, this has happened before with the invention of a camera <laughs> before cameras uh, were readily available. Um, people would sit very still and someone would paint their photo. And it was an extremely skillful art to, 
create a photoreal painting. Obviously, uh, if you ever went to an art class, you know how incredibly difficult it is to oil paint. And some of the greatest Renaissance, you know, painters were insanely skilled. Uh, now I can, you know, use my iPhone 14 and take a picture. Um, so I think this is just the next evolution of just art in, in general. It still comes down to like anybody can technically make a movie on their phone and edit it on their phone and upload it to YouTube and have full distribution to the entire planet. And yet there's still only a couple of skilled, you know, filmmakers out there. So I think at the end of the day, the story of what you're doing and the reason for it and the motivation for whatever AI art you're making is all, it still all requires the, the hand or the brain of a skilled artist uh, of some sort. I think just simply ha looking at a beautiful image now has been like the, the, the craftsmanship of something that is just simply beautiful to look at may have gone away a, a little bit. You know, it's like, oh, wow, that, that's a beautiful painting. Well, I mean, I still will I mean, recognize that. But Something I've noticed right away, though, is like people are so much less interested, and so am I, when they see something that was AI-generated, right? Like, if it, even if it looks exactly like a painting, which they know they're mm -hmm. not quite there yet, but next year they will be there where it looks, yeah. it looks like a Renaissance painting. Um, and, I, and I posted and said, look what I made a mint journey. People are going to like it a lot less and engage with it less than if I'm mm -hmm. like, look, I just spent the last five years locked in a room learning how to paint and this is what I created by hand. <laughs> yeah. People wow, will just, yeah, yeah, exactly. they'll, they will care about it. Even sure. if it is the same image, like the, and the, the story those people will still be will around. continue to they're, matter. Yeah. Those types of artists will still exist. I mean, they're, you know, they're all, they're still already few and far between anyways. Um, but uh, I think the power of it being, especially in like meme culture and, and stuff like that. Like I saw today an AI art meme of like Elon with a bunch of children in a cave or, or like in a coal mine. And the, the meme was, Elon uh, forcing children to work in the in the mines, you know, and so it's like a face of Elon, you know, in a mine with all these children. It's like a a commentary I mean, on it, you know. It is it is amazing space. for memes. It's like it's the perfect generator. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I want to keep talking about it. I, do, I don't know what I want to do with it, but like it is. It you should is do a, the, a YouTube video. The about creative it. story. I mean, yeah, I want to, but I, it's like, why do I have to add? I well, I, I almost feel like me, I don't. I don't know how to do the content aware thing that you just said. And I think a lot of other okay, photographers yeah, yeah. wouldn't do don't a lot of photographers are seeing what you did with the taxi cab. Cause that's, that's the only thing I saw. And then even the bike thing, like, I don't know how to do that. I could figure it out, but you know how YouTube works. People sure, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. No, I, people don't like true. to do the research. So yeah, I should do that. It, um, the title could be something like the ultimate content aware using <laughs> AI. Right. Uh, okay. You convinced me it'll, it'll happen. Um, I'll get on it. But yeah, if anybody wants to start dabbling with it now, it's like, I'd, I'd say, you know, go sign up for, for mid journey. Uh, stable diffusion is the big one. A lot of people are talking about, cause that's what's being implemented into a lot of, uh, cause it's like fully open source. So you can just install it on your machine and just run it locally, which is going to change. I think when I benchmark computers, uh, that is absolutely going to start becoming a standard test. Um, cause it's in incredibly intensive. You can also run it on a phone. Uh, but I, I like the results less, so I've been using Stable Diffusion less. Um, anyway, stay tuned for a, a lot more follow-up. Uh, but let's uh, let's come back to the real world a little, a little bit for cameras that exist. Um, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly mention what the carry-around camera I've been loving is, since I teased it before. I'm um, curious. We, what would you guess? I bet you can guess. 
Well, you're a cannon shooter. Um, and uh, is it the X100? The Fuji X100? <laughs> it, is the, it is the Fuji X100. Absolutely. See? So, oh, I, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, not that hard to guess. Um, that so camera's I, I, had a bit of a renaissance recently, hasn't it? It I've is. Been... So I, I just saw that Fuji stopped production because it's so in demand that they're like, we can't even foresee when we will catch up with the current orders. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> um, yeah, cool. it's incredible. But yeah, I was I... lucky to already own an X100F. So that is the, the older generation. Um, it, was, it was kind of sitting in our drawer for like you know, four or five years since it came out, uh, uh, we'd really bought it for Anya and she just mm -hmm. didn't use it a lot. Like we kind of used it as a prop in some photos, but a lot of the time, it's so often when we're shooting, it's like, look, we're going to bring a camera that's large. We, you know, we need the photos to be like professional or whatever. So, um, I kind of dismissed it. I was like, I don't know. I don't know why I dismissed it. Anyway, now I've been carrying it around and I just, I just love it. And I was really like really drawn into it. Um, cause every time that I talked to Simbra, she was on this podcast all the time, listen to some recent episodes, but he's one of the, my favorite photographers. He's so incredibly talented and he's shooting all, well, mostly Fuji and often on just that camera, like, you know, photos that are being published in the New York times being printed large. Um, he's running around doing street style. Like he's just, he's not in controlled environments. He's not, doesn't have predictable, subjects but he's catching the focus the megapixels are there and it looks fantastic straight out of camera and i've just been i've been so inspired by colors looking nice as i take the photo i don't know why digital gave up on that that it was like oh we can just kind of make everything look neutral or scientifically accurate and we people can find a way to get creative after that but digital colors have looked like or spent a lot of years looking like crap i think they've recovered it's been a few years yeah, since they, they, they got better but they've just been chasing natural and sharp and you know clean and, and stuff boring. like that and boring but this was never what film <laughs> looked like you know it, i mean if you There's everything character. we shot in the 90s had care it all had character and mm -hmm. where were those film scientists when the digital stuff was being delayed created <laughs> like why weren't they involved in those conversations well, of like oh you know what if you push your greens in this direction it some of them were, uh, in fact, uh, the first Canon, you know, the, the original 5D kind of has a cult following because the original 5D, we're talking about the 5D Mark I, was, you know, was the first full frame camera from Canon that was digital. It did have a little bit more of that, you know, the dynamic range wasn't as good. So they just kind of leaned into the fact that it, it was a little bit crunchier. And so it had a more filmic tone to it. Uh, same for the Leica, the Leica M8. The, the first Leica, which is technically the first mirrorless camera ever made, the M8 had a CCD sensor designed by Kodak, and they worked in partnership with Kodak to create the sensor. And same thing with that. They, they emulated film digitally, but over time, the technology just kind of started going further and further, and it was just like, okay, well, let's just add more dynamic range, more, you know, more low light clean up the shadows, like, you know, make it look more natural, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously Sony enters the market and for several years, their colors were just awful. But now it's, you know, I think they've completely solved it. Um, well, I 100% I, I understand what you're saying with those stories. And like, I hadn't, I hadn't heard those. That's, that's super interesting to hear out. But I will say that if, if I look at any of those images or I even look at the Fujis that I'm excited about right now, I mean, the gap between that and the colors that come out of film or the colors that come out of a great Lightroom preset or a great Capture One preset. I mean, 
it's not, they don't look like film. Like I'm about to say how much I like them, but it is just like the, 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 there's a huge difference. You know what I mean? Like Portra 400, uh, Kodak gold 400 look so radically different from anything that comes straight out of a camera. Yeah. The thing that is getting closest though is Fuji. So anyway, let's let's get on to the Well, it's that X-Trans, the X-Trans sensor. If you look yeah. into the science of it, the way that oh, they I don't know the science of it. <laughs> the way that they design and we're going all the way back to the original X100, which I think was the first camera they made, if not the X Pro 1 being the first, but they the way the traditional way that the RGB colors are laid out is more of in a like a in a pattern of just like red, green, blue, red, green, blue and so on. Well, they uh, kind of like almost randomized it. So it's like when you look at the color pattern on the X-Trans, which is, I think, I believe it is still made by Sony, but they've, it's a completely unique sensor to Fuji. It's kind of like a mix mash of, of the RGB. And so it's like, it's not technically perfectly accurate, but somehow it just adds this sense of mojo to it. Plus Fuji's own, you know, history with film stock and just having a deep understanding of film stock. Um, it's just really interesting, and they, they really are one of a kind. I don't know if you want to get into XH2S, but I just used it yesterday for the first time. So I oh, do have yeah, thoughts yeah. on that. 100%. So, I, I mean, I just sent back uh, my review unit of the XH2, which I'm not going to post a YouTube review if anybody's hoping for it. So this is this episode is all you're, you're, all you're really going to get. Um, but the XH2S is much more exciting, which is why I'm not reviewing the XH2. It's, it, it, here's my whole xh2 <laughs> review if you're in the fuji ecosystem and you need the megapixels then of course like it's it, you know who you are and there's a good reason to get it anybody who is not already in that e ecosystem i would absolutely be looking at the h2s it is much more interesting it does more uh it's overall a better camera so that's like where the attention for me should be so it's like if you're if you're fuji you need the megapixels you know you need that if you're Fuji curious, which is sort of where I'm standing right now. The, the S is way more compelling. I, yes, I totally agree. I, I haven't had any time with the X-H2, uh, to comment on it. Um, I've used the X-T4 and the X-T3 extensively. I owned the X-T1 and the X-T2. Um, I never owned a pro, uh, and I never owned an X-100 though. I've reviewed, uh, the X-100, uh, F, uh, and the S, I don't know. I don't remember. <clears throat> so I'm, I am familiar with, with Fuji quite a bit and I've always lusted after like a real cinema hybrid from, from Fuji because of the film simulations and every review I've done, even with the X-T4, which I think was probably, you know, one of their better cameras for video for a while, even with that, it just missed the mark a little bit. Like it was just like, this is great, but you know, the, the, this thing just, it's, it's not perfect. It's great, it's, but yeah. I would never choose it over the other options out there. It's exactly. like, oh, if you already have this camera, the, the video stuff is great, but it would never be, it would never drive you to choosing the X-T4 as your primary video Exactly. Camera. It almost felt like, um, and I, I knew a couple of photographers who used X-Pro cameras primarily as wedding shooters. And even they told me, and we're, I'm talking about people who, who shoot weddings every weekend. Um, they were like, yeah, these are great, but it still sort of feels like a toy compared to my old Canons. You know, mm -hmm. Canon cameras are just tanks and Nikon cameras are tanks, like just traditional, good old fashioned, boring workhorse cameras. Um, and I feel like the X-H2S is their final step into like, yeah. okay, now we're, now we're 
pretty dang serious. It's real like, now. Yeah. This is real. And it's not only that, but like I am really, really impressed with the video quality. It's really good. Like the the just the even just the LUTs that Fuji makes that you just apply mm-hmm. to F log mm-hmm. two straight out of the camera. I almost wouldn't even touch it. Like it's just it's gorgeous straight out of the camera. Um the IBIS is better. Uh it's you know nowhere near as good as Olympus or Panasonic or or even Sony. Um I think it might be better than Canon because I'm not seeing as much warpy wobble uh as I see on the R five, but I know Canon's hopefully updating that with future firmware updates, though the R six Mark II seems to have it still. Um I digress. Uh, <laughs> but I, I used it all day yesterday. We went downtown Nashville with my friend Chris Haggerty. Uh, we did a, a, a shoot for Soundstripe. And, you know, I, for those of you who don't know, I'm uh, working with them, consulting with them, and, and kind of co-hosting uh, their channel. It's been a, a real blessing for, great. for me. Um, just a nice, you know, stream of income for me. And, and I love working with those guys. They're really nice and good people. Um, so yeah, we were just running around downtown and it was just amazing. Uh, and I wasn't using any Fuji lenses either. We had all manual focus Zeiss lenses, uh, that Chris owned and I've heard that the autofocus isn't great. And I'm not a huge fan of the focus by wire lenses that Fuji makes. I think for stills, they're really great. But if you're a cinematographer, a DP freelance creator, this camera could be like your main camera, especially yeah. if you're already used to shooting just manual focus for everything. Totally. Yeah. The lenses drove me crazy and actually manually focusing them specifically was just like sloppy. Like I had a hard time with it. Um, but yeah, so everything I, did, I didn't else, experience that then. So, it, well, I mean, maybe I'm just bad at focusing and the autofocus was like generally well, very no, good. I did I didn't have even it have a, a few times. Oh, I was just saying, I, I didn't even have a Fuji lens at all. We were only using real mechanical focus, it, you know, it. old vintage lenses. If you treat it like that as just like a body and you adapt everything onto it, I mean, it just, it crushes. The the crazy thing to me that was very surprising is that, well, not surprising because I saw the results, but looking at Cine, Cine D's uh, camera tests, which, um, you know, they do mm-hmm. such a great job of like breaking yes. down the, the performance in a repeatable scientific way. It's one of the highest scoring dynamic range cameras available really? for, for video. Yeah. Like it's, it's just behind, it's just behind the C70. Like I, I don't remember no the exact way. rating, but it's like up the C70 is it's the C70 is the highest, um, other than, other than red and Alexa. And then the Fuji XH2S is like coming right behind it. Um, I, I wish I had it right in front of me to say the exact details, but I'll, um, I'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, it's amazing. And I, I, the things when yeah. I was testing the camera, I didn't know that, like, I was like, okay, it's going to look good. But then I started grading the F log two and yeah. I shot uh, that whole YouTube video in, um, rec 709. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is like, this is amazing. Like this looks like cinema footage. This looks like a real camera, not the size of camera that it is. Right. Um, it, yeah. it, it presents itself as still being a little more casual. And once mm-hmm. you see the footage come back, you're like, wait, no, this is totally the, the F log two is a, a cinema log format. F log one wasn't in the same way that, yeah. uh, you know, the, the older way that V log coming out of Panasonic, um, it's, you know, or C log one from Canon, like none of those are real cinema profiles. They're kind of flat so that you can lift the highlights a bit if you want to, but they're not mm-hmm. actual, they, they don't really give you more dynamic range or more flexibility in the grade. F log two is like legit. It's the real deal. And, uh, I mean, I was, I was, amazed. I'm really excited. I was really amazed. I, in fact, 
I'm so amazed I may sell some things to get to justify wow. getting one because it's it's a great I, I don't know if I would I'm still in love with the C70 and that'll get on to our next topic but um I could see it being a great little you know my version of the everyday carry just a little bigger maybe if I got a tiny little lens for like walk around purposes but then use it as a b or c camera well um i'll say this if autofocus isn't your biggest priority other than autofocus i would much rather it over the r5 for video um, I, i'd also probably rather it yeah. over the r5c for video like it would I, yes. be it'd be one of my primary choices um except that it doesn't have that perfect autofocus which if you're in that environment yeah. some people shoot in that way that like it needs to be as good as it can uh, that that'd be more Canon or Sony, but but if just if in terms in of that, image quality, yeah, I think if you're in that autofocus category, a Sony or uh, really a Sony is the right way to get like the A seven S three. The A seven S three is the YouTuber camera. Like yeah. I, you and I are fighting that, but like the A seven S three is kind of the perfect people, just yeah. all around. Although does everything. I did I, actually, I, I didn't write this down. I forgot, but I did get the hands on with the A seven R five too. I went to that Sony Ooh. event, so I, I should, well. Remind me of that in five minutes. We'll come back around. But the new AI autofocus. And it ties in the AI. AI autofocus is pretty cool. Oh, Um, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's a little overkill for a YouTuber, but I guess it's, yeah. I mean, uh, but it's missing missing some video features too. Like, it's not meant to be a a video first camera, but obviously those features will come to to the next one. So, yeah, me too. The the end of Cine D's uh, article says you could actually say that the Fuji X-H2S is a Blackmagic Cinema Camera 6K on steroids with a ton of additional features like IBIS and all the other advantages of a true hybrid camera, including a smaller form factor. And I couldn't really agree more. I think it's, like, in a way, a Blackmagic killer because in addition to the beautiful image quality and, you know, blah, 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 if you were to put it next to a Blackmagic camera, it also can output Blackmagic RAW. So if you're all, right. if you're a Resolve user... Just get the Blackmagic View Assist, which you probably should get anyways, because the monitor definitely isn't the best in the whole wide world, and it—that's maybe one of the downsides. I wish they had more video-focused, you know, things like waveforms and, um, you know, just just make the UI a little bit more video-y. Fuji has a history of great firmware updates, so I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now we get better autofocus and some of these things that we're talking about, like waveforms or whatever that, uh, you know, or, um, uh, color, uh, exposure. Um, what's the one with all the colors? What do you call that? <laughs> vector scope. Yeah. Uh, vector. No, no. Um, it's like a heat map. It's like a, heat a map rainbow. First. Oh, uh, false like color. Rain- yeah. False color. That's it. I, for some reason I'm blanking. Maybe it's the fosters. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very impressed fosters with the color. <laughs> I make, I'm very, uh, very excited about the Fuji XH2S, um, there's nothing wrong with it. Like if you're a Fuji fan and oh, you're it, looking it for an destroys. upgrade, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, for me personally, because I do rely on the autofocus and I, you know, I, I love all the things about my C70 in terms of built in NDs, long battery life, video first, you know, features, um, a floppy, uh, selfie screen, all those things. XLR. <laughs> yeah. XLR. It, yeah. It, 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 it is also a great like tool for what I do, but half the price though, as well, the yes. Fuji. So Although you I can mean, get C70s really cheap now on eBay. Have you well, looked? Well, yeah, buying a, but you, I mean, you'll be able to buy a used XH2S in a little while too. I mean, yeah, they don't for, hold their value. If, Fuji's. If we're just well, looking, they at, do actually. If, <laughs> if we're just looking at new prices, I mean, is it the best value video 
camera. I mean, it, it seems like I'd rather, like you're saying, I'd rather it over a black magic. Um, it's much cheaper than a C70. Uh, I mean, there's and like a, the FX 2200 is in the same world. Yeah. It's like, um, the, the new FX 30 and the R7 and this are kind of but your, not the, the R7s. I would much rather have the FX 30. Uh, the problem with R7, the problem with R5, all of this, there's no C log two. Mm. It just does not shoot proper, like cinema type footage. It is not flat enough. It is not flexible yeah. enough in the grade. You need to get the exposure too accurate. Um, yeah. So effect. So basically, I'd say like, look, if you want something for in, in the lower price range, the FX thirty. If if autofocus is your priority, go there. Mm-hmm. If color is your priority, then go with the Fuji. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think it's a really good side by side with the FX thirty, which is a really interesting camera in of it, in its own right, but. Um, I, I get more excited and back to the kind of art art thing. Like I, I it's inspiring. Like when you look yeah. at the image, yeah, it makes me you, want to shoot when you put it in the timeline and, and throw a grade on it just by doing nothing, just put, put the standard eternal LUT on it that Fuji gives you. It looks so good. It's so inspiring. The grain is, is, is a very, you know, filmic looking grain. Gerald did some great tests with the grain. He said, this is surprisingly like one of the best noise reduction in post cameras yeah, i've ever used he talked about how like turn off all the noise reduction in camera and just apply a slight noise reduction in whatever your nle is and sharpen it up a bit it cleans up beautifully and retains all the detail so anyways um i really can't sing its praises enough i think it's the perfect price point it does both stills and photo it does both stills and video really well um great all-around camera i have also i got to talk about the um the film emulations for video a little more too so on the xh2 i was just posting some direct to instagram like i was we were in new york i was just kind of shooting random scenes uploading it straight to my phone from wi-fi and just posting it to instagram and people i got so many comments people were like is this a movie is this from a movie like no it's just like straight out of the camera i did nothing to this and i was thinking it looks like a movie too it looks so so cinematic and it's so inspiring to shoot like that like it's mm-hmm. so much more exciting than uh you know it's kind of flat right now it's got a lot on it you have to imagine what it's really going to look like. i mean no it just like it looks great right away so if you're doing anything where you don't want to color gra- anything where you don't want to color grade i just i would so choose it right now it's like it's so much more beautiful than what comes out totally. of most other cameras unless you want something like crazy neutral i mean canon's neutral colors might be a little more yeah know, of a safe it's- bet but my cousins um, that I work with, Amy and Jordan Demos, they're well-known kind of wedding photographers, and they have this really bright, airy kind of aesthetic, and it's just so canon. Like their whole image is like just perfect skin tones, very bright, uh, you know, kind of light feeling images. I don't know if you could get that with the Fuji. The Fuji has such a kind of mojo and vibe to it. It's it's like a vibey filmic kind of thing, and so yeah, I mean, just depending on kind of your tone, it's just like choosing film stock. In a way, you choose the sensor that best suits your kind of needs, um, I guess. I have a small tip right now. Something I, I just real I don't know how I missed this earlier, but in Lightroom, when I import my Canon files, instead of using Adobe Standard Color, because that's the default profile that it assigns, I started mm. using Canon Faithful, and it just looks so much better. Oh, Faithful. It's like, yeah, it like looks like... Yeah, it's kind of like filtered in a nice. Like it has that feel. It's got vibes all of a sudden. It looks yes, you know, Dude, like something. I, it was like a game changer. This was just two days ago. I noticed it. 
That's awesome, dude. Yeah, faithful is an old faithful for me. I used to use that all the time when I shot weddings on the 7D. That was our main thing as well. And it, it does. Faithful on Canon cameras is this weird graded look to it. It's it's kind of like got a bluish in the sh- – like a a blue purpley kind of in the shadows thing to it. And it kind of pulls yeah. the highlights down. I found um, it – yeah, yeah but, it does bring the highlights down. I, but what I didn't like is it does push the skin a little pink. And I've, so mm-hmm. I've been having to like remove some magenta or like, I'll probably create yeah, my just own white custom. Shift it. Sure. But, um, yeah, I mean, I had always been doing the, the Adobe standard cause my main philosophy behind color correcting raw photos is I'm like, just get it accurate first. Just make it look yeah. neutrally correct. Then after apply your look, because if you, if you put a heavy grade on an image before you start Photoshopping, you can't you can't walk it back right you can't change your mind later once it's a psd uh mm-hmm. so you know in the raw moment extract all your dynamic range use the latitude the best you can uh get an accurate white balance and then get creative to the psd um but this uh, yeah i don't know i've just been really happy with that little adjustment that i made I've been using a gray card now um, oh, for sorry. almost everything. It's been really great. The C70 has a dedicated button for it, so um, I use it all the time, and that helps. And Fuji actually has a great system for custom white balance. Um, so I don't want—I don't want to forget before we move on from Fuji. We—I uh, mean, the the feature that I just miss so much on every other camera now that is is open gate. I mean, yes, being able to yes. shoot, I don't know if they call it open gate. Do they on there? Uh, like I know uh, Panasonic has a very weird name for it, but no, I think they oh, just call it three by two. Um, it's just the yeah, best. Like it is the best. I want to shoot everything. Everything, in that. everything needs this. It, but this is why. I so I've been using the GH6 as my overhead camera for everything right now. Like, oh, cool. Fortunately, I've been able to keep the review unit longer. So I, I, I'm nice putting it, putting it to use, but it's I'm way better than camera. if I, when I put my R5 up there the other day, which I did, I had a whole, so many shots at the end that were out of frame because, um, mm. like, I would just move to I, – I, I should have framed it wider. Um, you know, sure. if I shot in 8K, made it wider, it becomes the equivalent. But when you have a, basically a square sensor, I'm constantly, like, just recomposing to keep my hands in the center of the frame. Um, it's shooting 6, 6.2. I don't remember the number. But, you know, it's Yeah, like, 6.2K. Oh, yeah, tons of pixels to crop in on, like – Totally. Um, this is on I, the GH6, by the way. But, yeah, I mean, same thing goes for the food. Oh, like, oh so having that. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, same principles, right? Like just having a taller format that you're not going to use that top and bottom is the best uh, for a million but reasons. GH6 takes it even further than the X-H2S because the X-H2S is a 3 by 2 sensor size, whereas the GH6 is a true 4 by 3 And yep. the reason that that's Better. important is, number one, all of us hipsters can just shoot that and deliver in that. And it has the old fashioned four by three aspect ratio, which is fun and, and vibey in its own way. Um, but then for anamorphic shooting, that is the standard for two X mm-hmm. anamorphic. So um, I wish that Fuji went a little further with it and gave us a four by three. That would have been even better or even give me a cropped uh, anamorphic, uh, like a true two X anamorphic. That'd be nice. Um, I didn't do any anamorphic tests on the Fuji or yeah, on the Fuji. I think that would probably look really great because it's a super 35 sensor. Yeah. So you could put any anamorphic on there and it'd look incredible. Um, I would rather the GH6 shoot anamorphic. 5.7K, by the way. Oh, or 5.8K okay. in the okay, open thanks. gate mode. I'd rather be shooting anamorphic on the Fuji than on my C70 because of that format. Mm. Or, or, you know, yeah. or, or, well, maybe. 
Yeah. Okay. I'll keep well, it. I, I mean, imagine say, or if... the GH6, but then you've got to like, then I would want a bit of a, I mean, I use those Vazen lenses, the micro four thirds ones, mm. but when you don't have as much blur, the anamorphic loses a bit of its sex appeal. So you own those? No, no. I just borrowed them for the, when I reviewed it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Those Vazens are, are pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, th- I think open gate <clears throat> may be, um, one of those things that like, it's almost like a trend, you know, it's like the new thing. It has um, to be and, everywhere. It's the best, but it needs to be the next thing. Like I, I want to see yeah. that on everything because these hybrid cameras have, they're literally just cropping the sensor. So any hybrid camera with enough processing should be able to do this. So that means uh, maybe in the past users just didn't know that this was a thing that we wanted or needed, especially because vertical shooting wasn't as much of a thing. Uh, Red for for a long time essentially did this uh, with the two by one aspect ratio. I remember Red released a big paper on why all their cameras natively shoot two by one. And they're like, because you can crop for two, three, five really easily. You can go to 16 by nine really easily and not lose as much. It's the same philosophy of like, basically, you know, you, you have f- frame markers. That's old. That's like old, old, old red. Well, cause um, I, red epic. you know, I'd actually bring that. So I've been so red obsessed lately and I, I don't even want to get into whether or not I'm actually going to buy one. Cause I was red obsessed around this time last year. Um, but it was because of the, S35 V Raptor being announced, which is $5,000 less expensive than the V Raptor. Only difference is that it's super 35, but has all the same features. So you can still shoot 8K 120 frames per second. I could put the focal reducer from the C70 on there and it could act like a full frame. I mean, like, oh, I'm so in love with it. But the thing I do, I keep, I, you know, since I've never owned a red, I, I look at them like, why, why is the ratio so wide? I mean, like, same with the Komodo, like, they're, it's Komodo 17 by 9. Um, I'm just like, don't more, you know, cinema focused people want a taller aspect ratio. Yeah. It's, it's the same philosophy of the open gate. In fact, the open gate, I think term comes from that kind of world of like, are we shooting open gate? Yeah, yeah, we got it. You know, it's like, it's giving them that wiggle room to crop and post. Um, in fact, I remember listening to interview on the go creative show a long time ago with the first season of house of cards. The DP was on that show. And he mentioned this as he's like, yeah, we shot in, you know, full uh, 6K on the original Red Epic on the first season in open gate. And he asked, uh, Ben, Ben Consoli asked like, well, what is that? And he's like, well, it gave us a little bit of extra room to stabilize and post because Fincher wanted every dolly shot to be so perfectly uh, almost robotic that like they would do a dolly push and then they would stabilize it in post to make the dolly push even more stable. I guess nowadays uh, that type of shot would be achieved with a robot arm, but back then that wasn't a thing. So, um, yeah, I would also, if I was using, so let's say I end up with a eight K red at any point or even six K like as long as we're over sampling, it'd be nice to, even if I could just permanently mask out some portion of the frame on my monitor. So it's like, it's, I just forget that it exists. I'm always framing 10% 10% wider, but I'm shooting in six or eight K and then I can always make up for that later. That'd kind of have the same effect. Um, yeah. Like if the NLE, um, the NLE brought it in how you shot it, but then yeah. it does like, you Surprise, can just, there's some more room. You could just wiggle your Y slider on that, you know, or whatever and, uh, and move it around. That'd be cool. But yeah, open gate needs to be everywhere. Sony can do this like the, the, you know, their sensors are square, um, for the photography stuff. So 
you know, I would love to see them do that. And they may do it because a lot of us are, are kind of talking about it. So whenever Sony does the next event, all of the people who are listening to this, who will be there, please tell I mean, all the engineers, I, I, Hey, open gate, open gate. Open I gate. was there and I, I had that exact, op- exact opportunity, which I've just so much credit to Sony for the way that they do their community stuff. Like, yes. Um, at this event, uh, the, so many people were from there from Kando? Tokyo. Uh, no. So this was cause they had an event right after Kando, um, it, announcing the, uh, our, um, R five. <laughs> Yeah, R5. Uh, A7R5. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they, yeah, engineers are there. They're like, they're marketing people. Like, all came from Tokyo to talk to us. Their American leads were there. Like, everybody there mm-hmm. runs Sony and is open to talk to everybody of like, oh, like, what do you think yeah. of the new camera? I mean, they were, and they're, they're actually like listening and engaged and curious. And those features mm-hmm. that we all complain about show up. I mean, they're, they're so yes. responsive. And I love that culture that they have there. Sony's awesome for that. Um, yeah, I actually it, just made a video that's, I think, coming out in a week or two on Soundstripe's channel, and the title is, What All Camera Companies Can Learn From Sony. And that's one of my five points, is that, you know, I've been to a couple of Sony events as well, and I was just so impressed with the engineers that stood there with a clipboard, actually listening to what we were saying and taking notes. And I would often kind of complain about something or whatever, and they would then ask me, well, why, you know, why is that important to you? And they were very inquisitive and it was really inspiring. And then it, turn well, around, you know, the next year and yeah. boom, you see those features implemented in the camera the next year. Totally. It's nuts. And it makes you feel very different about, I mean, it frustrates me with Canon. Like it's not, it's not just like, oh, Canon doesn't talk to me personally, but Canon doesn't have this like as open of a relationship with creators. Mm-hmm. They're much more closed. Uh, you know, I know some of the people on the uh, Canon, uh, what do they call their team of people? Uh, you're a, the Canon uh, light chasers yeah, of light or yeah, something. The, the, the Canon team and like they're, they're great creatives, but it's very, it's a very small community and yeah. there isn't that like feedback loop and that conversational aspect that, that we have in, in, I mean, both Fuji as well. Fuji's better for it. Panasonic's better for it. It's kind of like everybody has started to like become a little more, yeah. Uh, they also interactive with the community and, and Canon's really staying closed, unfortunately. So I think it is important to have the perspective too of the realization that all these other companies also don't own movie studios and the PS five and TVs and, uh, make all the sensors for every other camera. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like you got to remember Sony is a multi, multi multi-billion dollar entity and like Canon, I remember meeting uh, one of the higher up Canon people at NAB one time and I was kind of complaining about these things and he put it into perspective for me. He was like, Dave, listen, we have three like areas of business. We make printers for corporate America and we make medical instruments and cameras and Mm -hmm. cameras are literally like less than a third of our overall like revenue. We make the most of our money in medical and in corporate America for printers. So like the CEO doesn't care about your micro HDMI port because at the end of the day, the bottom line is coming from these other avenues that they are focusing Mm -hmm. their effort in. Um, That being said, you know, I think it doesn't cost anything to, you don't have to put on a million dollar event at a resort with a bunch of influencers. But what you can do is simply ask questions to the users and actually be open to feedback and invite creators to to talk. That's more the way that Panasonic has been is just like, you know, they're not, they're not doing big extravagant events, but they're being really like open and conversational and and just kind of 
candid. So I, I think there's a lot of right ways to do it. Same with red, you know, red's not putting on big events, yeah. but I was just, I was watching a live stream of the new V Raptor announcement and it was, um, and Jared showed up in the stream answering questions. And I'm like, there's only 30 people here. So he's like wow. answering <laughs> multiple questions for me. Like, that's just like awesome, responding dude. to things that's I'm so saying cool. in real time and like super candidly. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. Like, <laughs> you know, how many people that yeah. run camera companies will chat with you on YouTube? Um, so th- th- that was super fun. I was on the fence with the Komodo. I was, I was literally right, you know, either Komodo or C70. And Can I am glad I went with the C70. Uh, it was the right choice for my, the type of work I do. Um, but I really loved using it when I was at Indie Mogul. I got a couple of, we did a couple of videos with it and um, it is a wonderful little tiny little thing. And I think they're doing some great stuff. You know, they're, they're, they've added some phase detect autofocus and their color science is wonderful. Tracking. There's, yeah. yeah. There's obviously some sort of, I mean, this is completely rumored, but like there's some sort of partnership going on with red and Canon. I don't know what it mm-hmm. is, but I hear I think, rumors about it constantly. <laughs> But, you know, RF mount, Canon batteries, similar-ish autofocus. I would even argue similar-ish color science in a way with with the Komodo and with the Raptor. Um, so my good friend Brandon Washington owns the Raptor and he owns like the R5 and all that. And he said it's great because being a Canon shooter for the normal stuff, he just has all RF lenses. He just pops them off, puts them on the red, go, sh- you know, to go shoot his... Uh, high-end production stuff he's like it's a great system it's like his reds are kind of the cinema cameras i'm not helping you right now saying all this <laughs> yeah no, this sounds great. His, been, i watched every video brandon stuff. made lately he's uh he's in a lot of my youtube history right you now. should have him on next to talk about yeah, red yeah totally no it's great talk i got to talk him to it uh nab as well so that was that was awesome and yeah i'm I, here's one one thing i think red really got right that everybody else i think got got wrong and still is doing wrong is that they provided the steps for the color pipeline to everyone. So if you don't know what you're doing, if you have never shot anything before, you could download your R3D files, bring them into your NLE and just click the, follow the steps, click the right buttons. And it looks amazing. It looks like red footage. If you download Canon's C-Log2 LUT from their website or for the R5, you download the C-Log3 LUT. It looks like... It looks like crap. Like it does it not really look does. compelling. Nobody's <laughs> using those LUTs. They're not no. nice. And so we're all trying to like hack through our way to like, oh, what's the best way to transform yeah. this log footage to look expensive? And that is so stupid. Like that is if, <laughs> if they had done that with their photo cameras, they would have disappeared. I mean, it yeah. like because with photo cameras, it it's taken care of by the I mean the raw footage is taken care of by the um, either Lightroom or, or Capture One, whatever you're using. And they're going to have mm-hmm. really different responses, like I said earlier, depending which profile you use, which software you use. Um, but it always looks normal. Like it never looks bad. But log footage looks bad a lot of the time. It's so easy <laughs> to have ugly, mediocre uh, log footage. And the, mm-hmm. the LUTs that, that Canon makes, especially also Sony, their LUTs are not great. Um, like I feel like they don't meant- even update them. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, like, totally. Uh, I downloaded so the Fuji with it. Yeah, yesterday we did our shoot and then I we came home and I wanted to look at the footage and I went on Fuji's website to download the F-Log2 LUT because I don't have it yet and I noticed it's like on version like 3 or something and mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, they're updating this? I've never seen a company yep. update the LUTs." And not only that, but like you download the F-Log2 LUT and it comes in a zip file and every camera that has that profile 
there's a specific LUT for that camera. So yeah, they did it really well. I love it. And it's all in a package. So like you, once you download it, you're organized for any other Fujis you use. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we move on, I I wanted to mention before that I I did have an issue actually, which the, with the um, X-H2, some of my footage shot in 4k in F log one, uh, at mm-hmm. ISO, most of it was between ISO 500 and 800, not high, was crazy noisy. And I oh, well. don't know what I did. I like, they look exposed normally. Mm. I slapped the LUT on and like, it, it looks normal, but there's insane amounts of noise. So I, I just want to like disclose that I did have a weirdness issue with <clears throat> maybe that's just F-log a flag one thing or yeah, who knows? I, I, I was primarily shooting the ProRes 6.2 K, you know, F log two and, you know, mm-hmm. disclaimer, those files are massive. It was 250 gigs of storage but for one shoot. tons of flexibility. Like, you can set yeah. that data rate really wherever you want um, in a way that you don't have that yeah. flexibility on camera. If you're on an Apple Silicon... If you're on an Apple Silicon, there's no downside to shooting yeah. H.265, um, which yeah. is what I do on my C70. Um, and before we move off of LUTs, I, you know, because I'm not you, I will go ahead and say it. The Tyler Stallman LUTs <laughs> for the C70 are oh, incredible, and you've been working on glad, a whole new kind of raw version of this, and I definitely want to hear about that if you're willing to talk about it on oh, the show. Oh, well, I mean, the law, so I made a, a raw one that I just like kind of threw on Twitter, but I wouldn't stand by it because it was basically, a, I, it's based on one shot. I only used one shot, developed a LUT from that, so it is not the like... Gotcha. The other one I did more testing across different test shots and stuff and tried to match it up to other things. Um, well, I, I would like to did, do a new round. Great. <laughs> I'm going to do a new round of all of them because um, I, I actually, I quietly updated the C-Log 3 LUT. So if anybody bought the pack um, more than it was about two months ago, I'd go back and re-download that because I, I, I definitely improved the, the C-Log 3 LUT. But there's things I could improve about C-Log 2 as well. And I, I, I want to do something across all brands of cameras so that... They, they all end up in a place that I'm happy with. So at some point, do, I'm so, gonna, do Sony next, dude. You, yeah. You, yeah. Get I'd that like one to. go crazy. I know. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I seriously, dude, I really am impressed with what you've done with that. I, I've tried a couple of other ones and yours just is perfect every time. Like I, I oh, really love it. In fact, I, I shoot my kids with my little, <laughs> you know, C70 setup. And I shoot C-Log 2 because I know I'm just going to throw the Stallman LUT on it and it's going to look great. And one of my favorite things about the C- the uh, C70 is the fact that, you know, the DGO sensor allows you to basically just expose in the middle and get like your perfect exposure. You don't have to expose to the right and overexpose it like on other cameras. I mean, this so, is what I love about the C70 is like everything turns out. I just, I never, mm-hmm. I don't screw up too. shots. Great. Like everything just comes out. I really have not mm-hmm. ruined anything on the C70, which is, I yeah. can't say that about any other camera. Like the, when I was shooting Sony, I ruined a lot of shots. <laughs> yeah. It, it just looks right out of the box and it's got all the features that you want with the built-in ND. I just did an interview with, um, Eric Floberg two days ago. He was in town. Nice. Uh, are you familiar with Eric? Yeah. I love he's, his work. Yeah. He's amazing. He's doing a whole doc about Joe Greer, the, uh, oh, photographer. Yeah, yeah. I saw some stills um, from that. And he just bought an, a second uh, C70 uh, because it's just such a great workhorse for documentary filmmaking. And he said he paid, I think he said 3700 for it used or something. So like they're going, they're, they're not holding their value because yeah. um, it's kind of an awkward the camera. Breaking. <laughs> yeah, it is an awkward camera, honestly. But um, I'm excited about the new firmware update. I don't know if you want to get into that. but I don't want to get into C70. detail on it because it's 
not here yet, I guess. So well, like, let's let's try it first. But I like that they're pushing so hard. They're pushing the forward so much with updates. Yeah, it's exciting that Canon, of all people, is like actually doing a firmware update that's pretty good. So at least according to the little first impressions I've seen. So yeah, totally. Uh, one to thing I, one thing I'm going to do more of um, in my last video I just shot in RAW on the C70. I want to kind of shoot RAW for a while. Like I wanted, I don't. I did some initial tests and I was like, you know what? The image generally looks pretty similar. Now I've circled back and done some more tests. I'm like, you know what? There's, you can see that there's more color information here. It's not, it's not, um, it's not more dynamic range, which I think is what I was really looking for. Cause on the C200, mm -hmm. you'd see a big jump in dynamic range. Like, but the only way to get all the dynamic range is shoot raw. Um, mm -hmm. it, that that's how you made that camera look good. I was expecting similar results. I was like, oh, if the C70 looks good in 10-bit, imagine what it's going to look like in 12-bit. I did it, and it looked pretty similar. So I was like, oh, I, I left it alone because I'm like, I'll save the file space. Doing a few more tests, like the color is more, there, more. There is more of it to work with. <laughs> As it uh, should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to, you know, report back on, on how that turns out. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, part of that was also thinking about it. I'm like, well, if I am, if I do end up pulling the trigger on a red, ever i need to be comfortable with a, a workflow where i'm able to use that amount of data and keep up with it so um, sure. that's what was holding me back i didn't want to fill that many cards but right try for compression <laughs> yeah that's true um, but the, the lt is actually it's pretty good on the c70 it's much better than it was on the c200 yeah. it's way better than the, the r5 oh my oh well you yeah, remember that um so yeah it, it yeah r5 decent. yeah totally yeah, my uh, my friend Chris Haggerty works with Soundstripe. He owns the C500 Mark II, and we actually use that as our primary camera on the channel. <clears throat> on oh, the nice. channel, yeah. Um, but we actually did do some tests, and the C70 is cleaner. It has more dynamic range, um, but I do feel that the 500 does have quite a bit of mojo. It, it looks really nice that full frame, um, but yeah, um, the raw on it. They, there's nowhere near as much granularity as the C70. So all around C70 is great. And it's got SD cards and my laptop has an oh, SD card slot, which is I great. I know. I love the <laughs> SD cards. Um, okay. My, I am looking at my C70 right now and I actually got eight minutes of battery. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how I didn't prepare more. So we'll kind of have to wrap it up, but uh, yeah. there's one last thing I wanted to throw in here that um, I, I don't know when I'm going to like make, I won't make a video about this. Maybe it may not get featured for a while. So I just want to mention it is that I got the new small rig V rock or V lock. I think they're called micro is the format, which is the same thing that like the, uh, um, V Raptor is using. So it's a smaller V lock, but weirdly the same amount of power. So I don't know if anybody's watching the video version, like the, what I'm holding in my hand is only the size of my hand and it's 99, uh, kilowatt hours. And, uh, there's also a smaller one that's 50 and they're in really incredibly small. And they have a display with menus that you can like go through and make modifications. They have uh, USB outputs, both USB-C and USB-A, and it can charge over USB-C. So if you don't have your V-Lock big charger, which I don't want to travel with, you can just plug it into anything. I mean, this is like that's a really big advantage being able to just plug it into your phone charger or your computer charger. Maybe you want a little more output, but yeah. um, it's just totally different from what you would need to carry around otherwise instead of having a brick that's the size of the battery um wow. and, you know obviously it has d tap out like these are the and they're designed well i mean i don't understand why so few battery brands were like oh even though this battery is a third of the camera let's just let it be completely ugly and just like cover it with like safety warnings and logos and all this and junk Anton but 
Remember the yeah. Anton Bauer ones that look like something from Alien or something? I mean, horrible. <laughs> it's like you you build this beautiful rig, but the biggest item on it is an ugly ass battery. Like I don't know. I don't, I don't know why nobody figured it out till now. But you know, GDU makes nice batteries. Now, small rig makes nice batteries as well. Um, this know, is the, cool. The red man. Batteries yeah, was pretty big. I haven't really yeah. seen this or looked into it. That is fascinating. I I mean, just because I've been in this industry for so long, I can't tell you how many like hotel rooms I've stayed at and we have to whip out the giant like six, uh, you know, mount V-lock thing. You plug it in and there's a fan and you're like sleeping and there's all these lights going on because oh. you're in the hotel room. So just yeah. having the USB-C to just go straight in like that is wonderful. It's really good. And it gives you like estimates of how much power is left when it's plugged in. It's too bad I didn't put these on the back of my camera before I started recording. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's okay. a big recommendation. I, I'm really happy about it. Um, that's cool. Well, man. before I get suddenly cut off, thanks for coming, Dave. Um, oh, speaking of Twitter, pleasure. where can people find you? At Dave Mays on Twitter, at D Mays on Instagram. I recently oh, changed it because I got that oh, one. But cool. Yeah. And then YouTube awesome. channel, uh, Dave Mays, my main channel, uh, D Mays Films. Um, be on the lookout. I got a lot of content coming out. It's been um, several months of work. I've been working on a big project for about four months. Um, so you'll see that. In, I saw in, a preview. Uh, I know it's going to be good. And then um, we're shooting. Uh, I lived inside my drone for 24 hours uh, next week. And then um, I traveled across the world without a smartphone in December. So Whoa, um, big plans. I'm trying to get into more just storytelling uh it doesn't have to necessarily be filmmaker related um kind of a matt diavella meets eric i guess or ryan trahan um so i've always seen myself more as an entertainer than just a filmmaker um but i still love filmmaking obviously we just talked about gear for two hours <laughs> um so i'm trying to figure out how to how to marry those two things it's going to be probably a lot of floundering around here uh, as I figure this out, but I'm willing to do it for the next two to three years and try to figure something out here to just do bigger and more interesting stories um, that they excite me. So, well, I know it's going to be good because it's already good what you're doing now. 